let's head into God's word. But as we do, let's begin with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. And I thank you that as we look into it, it, it shows us who we are. It shows us what we need to change. And it shows us how uh, we should look. It shows us how we can become more like Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray that that's exactly what you do in the lives of each of us here today. If there are any that come in here today that do not know you, I pray that today would begin, they would begin that journey. And also, Lord, for those who have known you maybe for a long time, that today there would be something that you would reveal in their life that would help them to become more and conform to the image of Christ. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we're studying the book of Romans. Uh, we're studying what, uh, uh, making sense of what matters most, talking about the gospel. Uh, we've, we've really gone through the first uh, two and a half sections so far. The first section deals with the topic of sin and why God is just to, to punish us for our sin. Then we move from there into salvation. How salvation is provided by grace because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross for us. And we receive it through faith and not by works. And then we've begun a couple of weeks ago uh, the, this process of sanctification, starting in chapter 6, verse 1. And we answered a question two weeks ago. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Uh, so this, this question, uh, the idea be, uh, behind the, the verb continue in sin is, is, is basically summed up in this idea. Is it okay for a person to experience salvation and then just continue on his way without any life change whatsoever? That's the idea of continuing in sin. Uh, do we have to have a life change in order to, to, to receive the gospel? Or, or is it okay to continue in sin? Because if we continue in sin, grace may abound. And what did we learn? What, were the, what was the answer to that question? The answer, certainly not, right? Certainly not. Well, the reason behind that is because we are dead to sin. We died to sin. So why would we live in sin any longer? Then we come to the second half of chapter 6. And we come to verse, verse 15. And so if you could turn to, to Romans chapter 6, starting at verse 15 with me. This is the question we read. What then shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? Let me just stop there for a moment. Shall we sin because we are not under law and under grace? At first look, it almost looks like he's repeating the same question from verse 1, doesn't it? Uh, but it's a slightly different question. Uh, than what we find in verse 1. In fact, what's, what's the difference? See, in verse 1, he said, shall we do what? Continue in sin. It's a different verb tense there. Uh, shall we continue in sin? What we find in verse 15 is, shall we sin? You see, and what we dealt with in, a couple of weeks ago is that habitual sense. It's that lifestyle sin. Is it okay to accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, but really reject Him as your Lord, right? You accept Him as your Savior, but say, I'm not going to change a thing. I'm gonna, and, and, and have full intentions of continuing down the road that you were on prior to salvation. And Jesus is saying that if that's the way you, you see it, then you don't get it, right? And so we find that now we're talking about, shall we sin? It's a very different tense. It's, it's shall we continue to, to, uh, to do, it's, it's the occasional sin. In other words, we, what do we do when we come to a situation where there's a temptation before us and we have to choose between doing what is right and what is wrong? What's the motivation for us to choose what is right? 
Um, that's really the question. Now, we learned with the habitual sins, the answer was certainly not. And we learned how this is a very emphatic certainly not that Paul talks about. Uh, it's actually the word not twice in a row. Ume, it's not. And, uh, and so, so we, the reason why we were not to do that is because we're dead to sin. But what about the occasional sins? Uh, what about the times when a temptation just comes your way and you think, boy, it'd be kind of nice to participate in this sin. Now, we never would say it in those words, right? But if, if, we, uh, if we've ever sinned, we've thought those things, haven't we? Anyone in here sin after accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? No, no right. You just, you just did another one, right? Just lie. Of course we have. So we've been there. And we have. We say those things to ourselves. We just don't always put it in those words. So the real question is, is what do we do? What's the motivation behind those occasional sins? How do we get out of those, those things? Uh, the, the big question then really is uh, to give in or not to give in. That's the question of verse 15. What then shall we sin? And the rationale behind it? Well, because we are not under law, but under grace. Uh, because we are not under law, but under grace. So why not give in to sin, right? Why not give in to sin? If you think about it, uh, why not give in to sin? Because, first of all, um, I'm under God's grace, not law. In other words, how do we accept the gospel? Is it through adherence to the law? No, because you can obey all you want and you're going to fall short, right? It's through accepting the grace of Jesus Christ dying on the cross for you. So is the rationale that he's using, is, that a, is it a good rationale? Well, it's a true statement. We are under grace. We are not under law. But if you take that to say, well, then, then when I come to a point of sin, wouldn't it be okay for me to just choose a sin? Because I'm going to get grace for it anyway. And this is the textbook definition, a textbook example of it's easier to get forgiveness than permission, right? I'm under grace. I'm not under law. Uh, the, the argument could continue. Well, God's not going to reject me for it. And is that true? If you sin after receiving Jesus Christ as your salvation, does God say, that's it, you're not my son anymore? No, he doesn't. I mean, as, as children, even with our, with our earthly fathers, many times we've done things that are wrong and our parents don't reject us, right? They don't say, oh, that's it. You know, you, you came in five minutes late, you are no longer my son, right? They don't do that. So God in this, in this perfection, he doesn't reject us because of our sin. God will forgive me. Is that true? It's First John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us, uh, uh, and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So bottom line is, hey, I'm not going to go to hell for this, right? I'm not going to. So why not give in to sin? What's wrong with the thinking that it's easier to get forgiveness than permission? What's wrong with the occasional sin? And, uh, and I mean, we're not talking about continuing in the old lifestyle, right? What's wrong with just the occasional sin, the things that we, that we like? So here's the short answer that Paul gives. If we go back to verse 15, I left out two words so far. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? What are the last two words of that sentence? Certainly not, or absolutely not, depending on the translation that you have. Um, but it's that emphatic, may. it's not. This is, no, you can't think this way at all. This isn't the way 
that it works at all. And so when you look back at that chart, you realize that for the occasional sin, the answer is the same. Certainly not. So shall we continue? Shall, is it okay to just live the lifestyle of an unbeliever? No. Certainly not. Well, is it okay then just on occasion to accept certain sins? Um, in fact, there's a book out uh, recently called Respectable Sins. Anyone read that book? Yeah. The idea uh, behind it is that there are certain sins that we consider respectable. In other words, well, it's not that big of a deal. Right? And we come to a point where we say, hey, what's really going on? It's the same thing that we read in verse 15. Well, we're under grace. We're not under law. So a couple, a couple of sins isn't going to be such a big deal. And he's saying certainly not. And the rationale that Paul gives through the rest of this chapter is because there are negative consequences for sin. No, you're not going to hell for it because all those sins have been paid for on the cross. But are there negative consequences to sin? better believe there are. And that's what we're going to talk about today uh, as we continue in the, in the second half of chapter 6. So what are these negative consequences? Well, let's read uh, as we think through the question, to give in to sin or not to give in to sin? Right? To give in or not to give in to sin? Starting in verse 16, let's read. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one's slaves? Whom you obey. Let me just stop there. What is Paul saying? When you submit yourself to become a slave to somebody and you decide to obey somebody, you are becoming that person's slave. Now, what does he talk about specifically? The rest of the verse tells us whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. There's only two choices here. Notice that he only gives us two options. We can either become a slave of sin, which leads to death, or we can become a slave of obedience, which leads to righteousness. You know, there is no third way mentioned in here, right? That's it. There's just the two choices. And, and so when we look at, at sins, when, if you choose to do a sin, knowing that it is sinful, you are making yourself a slave to that sin. And we have to remember that sin enslaves us. Slavery is a, is a nasty word, isn't it? We don't like that word. Right? With the, just the thought of slavery. But you know what? There is a lot of slavery going on in our world today. And, and I'm talking about right inside our churches, right inside our own lives. Because we become slaves to sin. We become slaves to sin. It goes on to say in verse 17, But God, we think that though you were slaves of sin... Yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. And so wait a minute. I escaped one form of slavery to become involved in another form of slavery. Uh, where's, where's total freedom? Where's ultimate freedom at? Right? Uh, but notice, there are, these are the only two options. You become a slave to sin or a slave to righteousness. And so the big question is, which of those is going to bring more more freedom, right? And then it goes on to say in verse 19, he said, I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. So when we look at what happens when you subject yourself to becoming a slave to a sin, it creates lawlessness, and what does lawlessness lead to, according to this verse? 
more lawlessness. You know, sin is not content to stay small. So the moment you allow it in your life, what's going to happen to it? It's going to grow. See, sin doesn't just stay small. It grows. Lawlessness creates more lawlessness. In fact, when, when, uh, when the first man sinned, Adam, what was the curse for him? God cursed the ground, so it would be very difficult to take care of. What weeds, right? And, and weeds and thorns and thistles, and, 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 and that exists to help teach us about the nature of sin. You look at that, and I'll tell you, anyone who, who uh, manages a garden or has a farm or anything like that, uh, what happens if you allow a weed to be small in your garden? What happens to it over time? Yeah, it grows. It grows, and it grows fast. And, uh, and you might think, well, I'm kind of busy, I'll do it later. But you wait till later, and all of a sudden, the work has just compounded, right? That's the nature of sin. Sin enslaves you. It really brings it down to two choices, to give in to sin or not to give in to sin, to be a slave to sin or to be a slave to obedience. <clears throat> so, so today I want to look at the two costs of giving in to sin, but also the two benefits of not giving in to sin. Does that make sense? So that'll be our outline for today. And we're going to look at just two costs of giving in to sin found in, this, uh, in our text and two benefits of not giving in. The first cost that we find is slavery. Sin enslaves us. And we only have two choices. We can either become a slave to sin, also mentioned in this context, it's, it's called a slave to uncleanness or a slave to lawlessness. And ultimately, where does this lead according to the verses that we just read? It starts with D. Death. It leads to death. Or we can become a slave to obedience, or as it's also called in this context, slave to righteousness. Or holiness, which leads to what? To life. These are the two choices. And the big question for us is which of these masters for us actually gives us more freedom? Right? Being a slave to sin or being a slave really to God? Those are our choices. Now you might think, but Pastor Dave, there's got to be a third option. Can't I just choose to be a slave to myself? Right? Doesn't that sound good? Uh, I mean, which, can I just choose to be uh, a slave to me? In fact, uh, you might be thinking, isn't ultimate freedom the freedom to do whatever you desire? Doesn't that sound like ultimate freedom? To do whatever you desire? But the answer to that we find in the scriptures here today. The answer to that is no. Um, no, not at all. Why? It's because our desires... Are deceitful. Our desires are deceitful. Let, let me uh, take you to another passage real quick, and we'll come right back to this. But look at what Ephesians 4 says about the nature of our desires. Paul said, But you have not so learned uh, Christ, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught uh, by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to its what? Deceitful desires. It's deceitful desires. What does that mean, deceitful desires? It means that what you think you want isn't what you actually really want or need. Isn't that true? What you think you want isn't what you actually want. In fact, if you were to ask people today, what would it take to make you a happier person? 
And you think of all the answers that people would come up with. Uh, you know, number two is ro- uh, romance. You know, some, or love, they'll call it, but they mean romance when they say it. That's number two. You know what the number one answer is? Yep, I heard someone say it. What is it? Money. Yes, number one answer. You know, win the lottery and I'll be happy. Right? Because what we think we want isn't necessarily what we want. Uh, and so what we think will make us happy isn't really necessarily what will make us happy. In fact, uh, Susan Adams is a writer for Forbes, and, uh, and she wrote an article uh, in, the, in the Forbes magazine once called, Why Winning Powerball Won't Make You Happy. I found it kind of interesting, some of the things that she said. She asked, would winning $500 million of the uh, Powerball jackpot tonight make you happy? She says, studies and anecdotal accounts of lottery winners suggest that joy is by no means assured. Though there are stories of people whose lives improved after landing a big lottery payout, there are seemingly as many winners whose lives get significantly worse. The most frequently cited study uh, was published back in 1978 in the Journal of Personality and Social Psychology, where researchers interviewed Illinois state lottery winners and compared them with non-winners, and they also compared them to people who suffered a terrible accident that left them paraplegic or quadriplegic. That's the whole gamut there, right? Each group answered a series of questions aimed at measuring their happiness level. And the study found that the overall happiness levels of lottery winners spiked when they won, but returned to pre-winning levels or lower than pre-winning levels within a few months. Think about that for a second. Let that sink in. $500 million. Wouldn't that make you happy? Think of all, you know, the first, oh, look at all that I could do with $500 million. But statistics show that if you won $500 million today, give it three months, and you'll be probably, likely, a little bit more miserable than you are today. Why is that? Why is that? It's because what we think we want isn't what really is going to bring us joy. And that's true on the large level. It's true on the jackpot level. It's true when it comes down to the little things that every day uh, that, we, that we choose. And we think, oh, if I could just have that. Oh, and then you strive for it and you get it and you get it and you think, this isn't so good. Think of kids at Christmas time and, and some of the things, oh, I just want this. And, and, you know, if I could just have this, I'll be happy. And, and uh, then two weeks later, they've totally forgotten that. They've got a whole new little Christmas list with an updated list of what they really want. And as it gets closer and closer to Christmas, the things that they said a month ago don't mean anything. And then they're really excited on Christmas Day for a couple days, two or three days. But what ha- what's happening, say, March? Where are the new toys? Right? Uh, they're in the same stack with the toys from the Christmas year before. It's, it's human nature. The things that we think will satisfy us don't satisfy us. And so our desires are deceitful. And, uh, and so, so we, because of that, we become slaves to our sin. What you think you want isn't actually what you want. Another reason that we find here, not just because your desires are deceitful, but because desires are conflictive. Desires are conflictive. I mean, there's, a, there's a, a, a conflict between what you want right now and what you really want, right? Uh, in fact, men, uh, uh, let me ask you, uh, how many of you want to be providers for your homes, right? 
Yep. But when 6 o'clock comes around and your alarm goes, goes off, what do you want to do? I don't know about you, but every morning at 6 o'clock when my alarm goes off, there was a, I would like to hit the snooze button at least a couple of times, right? But I want something greater. I want the, my kids to, to be at school on time, right? I want those things. But there's also a side of me that says, but right now, that's what I want is in conflict with what I really, really want. That's the nature of sin, isn't it? That's the nature of sin. We're all like that. I teach a class through the Servant Leadership Program to teens and parents of teens on romantic relationships. And it starts with asking the question, between making a choice between A and B. These are two scenarios. Scenario A is to have a, uh, a, a series of, of passionate but short-lived tragic relationships. Or B, to have one long life, you know, permanent uh, mutually satisfying, mutually edifying relationship with one person that lasts t- till death does you part. How many people do you think choose A? So far, as many times as I talk that, in multiple countries and multiple situations, I had zero teens say, yeah, that's me. I just want a series of short-lived, passionate, but tragic relations. Nobody wants that. However... Statistics show that the majority of romantic relationships end in failure, right? I mean, just think in your own life. How many times did you have a romantic relationship with someone and broke it off before you even found the person you're married to, right? Uh, Let alone how many marriages don't, don't work out. So, yeah, what we really, really want is in conflict with the things that we want in the moment. And there are things that we do in those moments. It's these occasional sins that we allow, uh, uh, allow in our lives. Those are the things that ruin what we really, really want. So we become a slave to our sins. Is that freedom? No. Not freedom because it's taking you away from what you really want and what you really need. We tend to give up long-term joy for the sake of short-term pleasure. That is the nature of sin. Sin will convince you, hey, there's a shortcut to the joy that you want. All you got to do, take the shortcut. And you start to take that shortcut and you find it doesn't lead where, he, where Satan said it was going to lead. And it leads you to slavery. Slavery. We become slaves to sin. And this, is, this could be true of any type of, of sin. Uh, when you think of substance abuse, gossip, uh, any sin. It will enslave you. I think of uh, a recent uh, comedian. Uh, his name was Steve, uh, Steve Renazzi, or Ranazzisi. I can't pronounce it. But he's a comedian from New York, went to California. I'm sure that his life had been touched by some of the things that had gone on in 9-11. I'm sure he probably lost some friends. When he's in California, he kind of beefed up the story a little bit. You've heard this, you may have heard this. And uh, so he, he, he beefed up the story a little bit. And then people started asking him questions. Well, now, guess what? He's already started the one scene. He's got to back it up now. So he's got to create a story so that he doesn't come across as a liar. So then he creates this story. Next thing you know, people are asking more and more questions. Of, oh, what was it like? And next thing, he's telling the story as if he had been in the building and, and all sorts of things. And come to find out, it, it's, it was fictional. He made it up. <coughs> made it up. And uh, why? Because he was a slave to his sin. Once he started going down that road, now you've got to protect that sin. And, 
things, and it grows, and it grows, and it grows. Isn't that the way lying works? You say one thing, well, then you've got to say another thing to, to make up for that, and, or, and then you can't get caught for that, and next thing you know, there's a web of lies. And, and sin grows. Why? We, we're slaves to it. We become slaves to it. So we tend to give up the long-term joy because of the, the, the sake of the short-term pleasure. So uh, we end up then becoming slaves to sin. But let me ask you this. If you had been a slave, a real slave, with a master who, who beat you, didn't pay you, beat you, and someone came along and freed you from that, would you want to go back and serve that master? But isn't that what we do every time we choose to sin? We know something is wrong. We're saying, I don't mind giving in, becoming a slave to that sin. I'll tell you, one of the, the, the consequences of giving in to sin is we become slaves to our sin. And what we're giving up then is our freedom. We're giving up our freedom. Let's look at what it says in verse, uh, verse 17 and 18. It says, but God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. When you become a slave of righteousness, what does it do? It frees you from sin. There is a real freedom. There is a real freedom from giving up sin. Isn't that true? There is a real freedom that comes... Uh, from that. Um, I'll, I'll give just a couple of examples. Um, there was uh, a time I was at Evangel Baptist Church. I was pastor of Christian education. And I got an email out of the blue from someone I had never heard of. And it said something along the lines of, of I know what you've been looking at on the internet. And if you don't want me to, to tell the congregation, then you can pay me to keep it a secret. Wow. Now, I'll tell you what. Had I been looking at stuff on the internet that I shouldn't have, that would have been really, really scary. Right? And I'm sure that the man probably was sending this letter out to as many pastor's emails as he could find. And unfortunately, it's a profitable, it's a profitable thing to do. Unfortunately, there are, there are pastors who are struggling with that kind of thing. And, and, uh, and there you have it. Right? But what freedom it gave me to be able to write him back and say, I would love to talk with you, right? But first of all, you're welcome to share anything you want with the congregation of where, where I've been on my computer. What freedom is that? You know what I'm saying? That's real freedom. To be able to go ahead. You can do it. You can look at it. I'll let anyone look at my history on the computer. And I don't even know how to erase a history on a computer. So you're welcome to take a look at it. I don't care. Why? That's because there's freedom when we overcome sins. I, said, I would love to talk to you, but I'd love to talk to you about Jesus Christ. Right? There, was, there was no response. Right? It wasn't what he was fishing for. And, and, uh, but I'll tell you, there's freedom that comes from that. And, and this is true of any sin. Uh, I remember driving all the way from Detroit to, to Scranton, Pennsylvania for school. It's a long drive, and the speed limit in Pennsylvania back then was 55 miles an hour. Can you imagine that? So that, and I didn't think it should be a 10-hour drive. I thought it should be an 8-hour drive. So I drove like it was an 8-hour drive. And, and, and you know what? 
I was constantly nerve. My nerves were killing me because every time I think, oh, there's a, there's a you know those little stretches between the highways going east and west. Oh, was there a cop there? Oh, no cop there. Oh, good. Right. And one day it just hit me. This is stupid. I could add an hour and a half to my drive and have peace. You know, I think it's worth an hour and a half of driving to have peace. Right? So I just started driving at, a, at, a, at the limit that I thought, you know, that, was, that became the most peaceful drive. Why? Because it was sin. Right? Sin causes us all sorts of... We become slaves to our sin. We become slaves to our sin. So when we look at, at uh, our, our slavery to sin... Uh, we realize that we're giving up our freedom, really, when we become engaged in sin. There's one more thing that we find that, uh, that, that is a negative consequence of giving in. Not only slavery, but sticking with the words uh, that, that begin with S here, shame. Shame. Let's look at verse 20 one more time. For when you were slaves of sin, you were freed in regard to righteousness. But what fruit... Uh, what fruit did you have then in the things of which you are now, what? Ashamed. The things of which you are now ashamed. For the end of those things is death. Sin will always lead you to shame. You know what? Sin always leads to shame. Uh, when you think about it, all the way back to, to Genesis, God created the whole universe and said it is good. He created Adam and Eve and said it is very good. Everything was perfect, right? Uh, in fact, it says that they were both naked, man and his wife, and were not ashamed. No shame in them. The moment sin enters the picture, what did we find in the very next verse? That Adam and Eve went and hid themselves because they were ashamed of their nakedness. Sin takes something beautiful and turns it into something shameful, right? It turns it into something shameful. When you think of the, the comedian Steve uh, Ranazisi, I think it is, when you think of it, why did his sin enslave him? It's because admitting that he had lied, even at those first levels, would have been what? Shameful. So in order to cover the shame, he had to cover the story. He had to sin again, compounding the sin. And now he's got to cover a bigger story and a bigger story and a bigger story. And then finally, when it all comes out, he's so ashamed that he's not going to show his face on TV for a long time. In fact, the companies that supported him, like uh, Buffalo Wild Wings and so on, you had him in his commercials recently, they've canceled the commercials. Why? Because it's... They're ashamed of what he did. Sin always leads to, to shame. Now, enough talking about Steve. Let's talk about you for a moment. Imagine for a moment, right now, if I were to tell you that we had a video recording of the three worst sins, the three worst things that you did this week. And we're going to spend the rest of the hour showing those up on the screens. It'd probably take more than an hour, right? But imagine that for a moment. Think about it. Put, it, put them in your mind. Get, get a couple. What are the three worst things I did this week? And we're going to put it up on the screen and say, look what so-and-so did. I see a lot of people sweat. We're not doing that. Nope. I didn't send anyone around with, with cameras this week. But if it were true, how would, you, how would you feel right now? You know what that's called? Shame. Why would we do something when we know it's just going to cause Shame, sin always leads 
to shame. And what are we giving up? Well, the word that the, the Bible used here in Romans was fruit. Was fruit. In fact, look at, look at what it says. But now, having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit. And what is that fruit? It's holiness. And that has as its end everlasting life. With the fruit that comes from it. The idea of fruit is that you sow something and you reap in abundance. You get, it's a multiplication of what you've done. And, and, and you find that when you sow what is good, when you sow holiness, you will reap a reward that is so much greater than that. Right? And, and so we have slavery or shame as a choice, which leads, which leads to one place. We have freedom and, and you have the fruit that comes from holiness, which leads to life. And then we have our last verse of the text today, for the wages of sin is what? It's death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ, our Lord. So this, slavery, shame, it leads to death. These are your choices. Now, there's two senses in which this statement is true. You know, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. There's one that's in our position. That because we are sinners, we will experience death, physical death and spiritual death, eternal death, eternity in, in torment in hell. That's what we deserve, right? But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Yes. We can receive, and positionally, we can be in a position where we know we'll spend eternity with, with God. But there's the time-truth principle that the wages of sin, sin causes death. Where righteousness and holiness causes life, right? And so why on earth would we, as people who have been redeemed, we have been bought back, we have been, we've been bought out of slavery, why on earth would we say, but I would like to on occasion go back and serve my old master? Does that make any sense whatsoever? No, that leads to death. It leads to shame. It leads to slavery. Why would we go back to that? And I think so many times we think that sin is just something that, well, we say, no, this sin's not so big of a deal. So I can do it, and, and it's going to be worth it. Is sin ever worth it? No. No. And the moment we think, well, it'll be worth it to do this one or that one, the moment we think that sin is worth it, the moment we just do not get it. And we're going to become slaves to that sin. And there's going to be shame because of that sin. There's no sin on earth that when it comes to our judgment day, we would look back and say, you know, I wish I had done that a little bit more. I could have gotten away with more of that. When we finally get to see things from God's perspective, we're going to be able to look back and say, oh, I wish I had never done that sin. Oh, I wish I had never done that sin. Oh, by the grace of God, we're forgiven when we do sin. And I am by no means telling you that, that we're going to get to a point where, because of what Jesus Christ did for us right now, that on earth, we're going to get to a point where we will never fall into sin. I'm not saying that. I'm saying don't use the fact that God is gracious. Don't use the forgiveness of sins as an excuse for choosing to do sins now. Because that argument is blown out of the water in Romans 6. Oh, yes, you can do it. And you know what? You're right. All of those things that we said at the beginning, is God going to reject you because of a sin? No. Is God going to send you to hell because of a sin? No. Not if you're saved. But don't use that as an argument. Say, well, then I may as well go on and sin. That's not what God is saying. He's saying, you will become a slave. Don't do it. You will have shame. Don't do it. But on the bright side, 
When we overcome a sin, it gives us freedom. Real, genuine freedom. It produces fruit. And you start to see that fruit in the lives of your children, in the lives of of the people around you, in the lives of your ministry, the lives of different things. You start to see fruit in your own life. I'll tell you what. There is no temporary short-term joy that can compare with the long-term joy that God gives you when you start following him. Amen? Amen. And that's what it's all about. It's the same, really, it's the same choice that Moses laid out to the Israelites all the way back in Deuteronomy chapter 20. When he said, I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you that I have set before you two choices, life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both you and your descendants may live, that you may love the Lord your God, that you may obey his voice, and you may cling to him, and that you may dwell in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to give to them. Those are the choices. Life or death. If you have chosen life and you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, why on earth would you choose at any point to live like a slave? It doesn't make any sense. So I want to ask you two questions as we close today. Just two simple questions. And the first one is, are you still a slave to sin? Right now I'm talking about in that positional sense. Maybe you have never come to a point in your life where you have said, Lord, I recognize that I'm a sinner. And I recognize that Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay for my sins. You have never surrendered to him. And right now you are not destined for eternal life. If that's you today, I've got great news for you. You don't have to leave here today with any sins on your account. They can be 100% forgiven. And in just a moment, I'm going to give you an opportunity to, to make that right. We have some men in the back, uh, some women as, as well. They have a little lanyard that just says, ask me on it. And in a moment when, when we pray and when we sing, I'm going to give you an opportunity just to slip out right where you're at. No, one, no one's paying attention to you. Just go right on out to the back and you'll be met with someone who can share with you from God's word how you can know for sure that you have eternal life. Amen? Second question I want to ask is for any of those who know for sure, you'd say, Pastor Dave, I know for sure that I, I am saved. I know for sure that I've accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. You've been freed. In what ways are you serving your old master? What sins is the Holy Spirit bringing to your mind right now? Maybe things that you thought, but Pastor, I thought this is a small thing. It's not a big deal. Or, or maybe it's a big thing that you know. And, and, and just say, Lord... Search me. And if there's something in my heart right now that I need to get right, any sin that I have permitted, then right now is the opportunity to make it right. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now is an opportunity.